0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. As many of you guys know, I live in New York City. Skyscrapers, everything, right? But before I lived in New York City, I lived in Miami. And while I largely contend that Miami is for visiting and not living, um, one of the great things about Miami and my time living in Miami, for the most part, three out of four years, I lived right on the beach, right? I lived on the water in the other place, but it wasn't the beach. But I lived right on the beach uh, when I was in Miami. And, you know, when beautiful things like would be going on, I'd like to take a picture and share them. You know, and sometimes that just so happened uh, to be sunshine and sand and water in the middle of January. You know what I'm saying? And I found that when I was there, a lot of y'all took it personally. uh, When I would do that, you would feel as though I was trolling you. And I honestly, like, believe after having years to think about it. Y'all are just a bunch of haters. Like, that's all it was. Like, how could you not celebrate my good fortune? Like, if I had gone on a vacation and I sent a picture from the, va- you know, from, from the vacation, y'all wouldn't have had no problem with it. Y'all in y'all's own lives, taking pictures and screenshots of the weather, you telling people what your life is like. I was just telling y'all what my life was like. And it was pretty fucking dope. And I would just have all kinds of people, like, hitting me back just all mad and all salty and i thought that we could all be happy together you know but no that's not how y'all felt and i understand that i get it um that's what it is somebody said hard to be happy for other people's warmth when you're cold out here yeah i know and that's because you're a fucking hater kevin you know like that's basically all it comes down to so anyway um we've had like relatively mild winters since i got here the first winter when i got here was a monster but after that, it's been pretty chill. Like, it ain't been too terrible. Right. So, this year, it's almost like the state of the winter doesn't matter because it's not like I go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, like what's the big deal? But there have only been, like, two days before today that were really, like, not even, like, really cold, right? Like, I've been living here long enough to recalibrate what I consider to be really cold. But it was only a couple days that I was like, yo, it's, it's brisk. And it just so happened to be, like, two days that I had to go outdoors. Like, I had to walk to the dentist on both of those days, and the dentist is about a mile away. But I had to get up, make that hike, and go do it. But it wasn't really that terrible, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a long john situation. So anyway, let us fast forward to today, shall we? Today, can we fast forward to today? Okay, we will fast forward to today. So, um, a publication of some level of repute um, did a story about me, or they're doing a story about me. It obviously it hasn't come out yet, but they're doing a story about me, and they told me that they wanted somebody to like come and take pictures. And I'm like, okay. And I should have known the game on this because they weren't saying pictures like they were saying portrait. All right. And so the dude, uh, real cool dude, he uh, shows up and I meet him in the lobby of my building. And before, like we knew going in that it was probably going to snow today. Right. And he was talking about all these different places outside that perhaps we could get some pictures. And I'm thinking to myself, Hey, man, um, you know that if it's going to snow, it's like it's also going to be like really cold. Like I'm thinking this in my head because for me, this is a deterrent. But he is a photographer. For him, it is art. He's like, yeah, we might even, you know, get some flurries while we're out. I'm like we might like this isn't i mean i guess i i I guess i can understand why it might look cool but anyway so my man comes meet him in the lobby and um he's like cool well let's go out in this courtyard and take some shots and i'm like i don't know if you can tell from here man but that's outdoors like that's outside you know that right So anyway, we go out in the little courtyard and it actually ain't cold. We take a few shots. Okay, cool. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I had a couple of places I was looking around at that maybe we could take pictures. I'm like, okay, cool. So he says first place and he tells me the intersection. I'm like, yo, that's not really close to here. But we go over there, we take the shots, you know, it works out. It ain't so terrible. But there's another part of this meant to bring up. Well, anyway, I'll keep going. So we go take shots. And then he's like, yeah, well, how about uh, we did the courtyard? We did that one spot. How about we go to Central Park? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I guess we can go to Central Park. And so we go to Central Park and we get there and we take a couple shots right, right after we walk in the park. And then he's like, yo, how about we go over there? Right. Like on the other side of the water. Now, you know, if you know the north side of Central Park, you know the water that I'm talking about. You also know it ain't really got no bridge. You got to go around. And so I'm like, he's like, what's the quickest way there? I'm like, yeah, I don't really know. You know, it's kind of a long way. Oh, Okay, look, we can just go right there. I'm like, damn, I guess we can, huh? And so we walk around this water and then we go stop at one spot. And then he's like, oh, man, how about we go take a shot at this one? Okay, cool. And so we go and we take shots at the other one and i don't know how many of you have like really been the subject of like a photo shoot of sorts it is literally my least favorite thing in the world other than moving right and i dislike it for similar reasons to disliking moving which is it's just a big old fucking task right like it's just a task and i hate tasks so the thing about photographers is I imagine some of you in the chat room have been married. So even if you ain't been in a photo shoot, you've been there for like a wedding photo shoot. And I don't really know so much what photo shoots were like back in the day of film cameras. Okay. And I bring that up because I feel like in the days of film cameras, the photographers had to be a bit more judicious about their shots. But in this era, of digital cameras, and you can just have like a pocket full of memory cards, they be having you doing every pose they could possibly imagine, because the photographer is an artist. You know what I'm saying? It's all right here, it's all these different ideas, and while they got you, and while they got the camera, they got to give it a run on like every single idea that they have. It's no shade. It's totally understandable. This is the job he's there to do and I got to do my part. And so I got to go through it. So we made it work. Um, I walked back home. Bruh, I got back inside. I felt like my hands were like two hams. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how uh, like it'll be like your fingertips get cold, or your hands get cold or whatever it is. My hands were cold to the meat of my thumbs. The meat of my thumbs out there taking pictures. Oh, man, it was so cold out there. But it wasn't snowing. Like, I got back inside before that came down. Poor photographer didn't get his artistic dream. Now, man, you look out there, it looked like you go skiing. So, yeah, if if you wanted me to get my my, my comeuppance from what y'all thought was trolling in Miami, which was actually just me living in my truth, if you wanted me to arrive and get some level of muffins for it, there it is right there. It's cold in a mug up here, man. Somebody in the chat room talk about New York isn't ever cold. I don't know where you are from. I don't like you. you your name in the chat room seems to be trying to in, in, intimate that you might be an African-American. And honestly, I ain't never heard no African-American talk about New York like it ain't really cold. Like it gets colder in other places. That don't mean it ain't cold here. You just strike me as a dude that's out here just trying to be a jerk. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. I'm in one of those places where I want to see if somebody's asked a question that I want to answer. And it doesn't seem like anybody has, which is rather surprising. Have you been surprised by the split reaction to Tom Cruise's rant? about people not practicing social distancing on the movie set. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh, they are shooting Mission Impossible 25 or whatever Mission Impossible we're on now. And somebody put out a tape of Tom Cruise telling people that anybody who continued to violate protocols is going to get fired. Um, He was very forceful in his discussion of his desire to see people get fired if they do not follow the protocols. I mean, he was screaming at them. There ain't really, like, no other way to put it. And I got to be honest, I don't know what I would do if I was there, man, because that dude is not tall. Like, let me tell y'all something, man. Man, I don't really know how many of y'all can, like, truly relate to this. And maybe it's just simply a function of being a tall person. But, like, if you're a tall person and you are here as an adult getting reamed out, and I even reamed out, right, just somebody that's Tom Cruise's height trying to approach you as though they're like an authority figure man you got to suspend a lot of disbelief like you got to fight a lot about what you presume about the world man i used to have a boss that was like five foot six and one day he decided that he wanted to have some talk with me about something and he needed to like establish his authority because that wasn't really uh how he was wired and he's sitting at that big desk and i'm sitting in that chair and I just had to just be like, okay, okay, okay. No, 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 no. This is not the natural order. You are correct. You are correct. You are correct. It's not, it's not, it's not. But you got to take it, you got to take it. So I imagine there was somebody that was on that set and like a little five foot five, five foot six Tom Cruise is doing the screaming and you just kind of want to chill out about it. Um, but what I, and I, I feel like the divide on how people receive hearing Tom Cruise scream at all those people on that movie set I really think that divide is about age. Um, and I'm not sure about that because I don't really have a great handle on how like authority figures interact with people in some places, but I am 40 years old and I mean, I ain't play a lot of them, but I play competitive sports as a youngster in a certain time and place. The w- one of the good things, and, and actually it's something I guess that one could argue is a bad thing, but I would contend that one of the good things that I got out of playing sports is I've been hollered at before, and it ain't the worst thing in the world. Like, I didn't think that the way that Tom Cruise is screaming at those people was beyond the pale, particularly for somebody with the level of authority that Tom Cruise has in that space. I did not think so. I've been screamed at by far lesser people and said, yes, sir, keep it moving. Now, at that time, I was definitely younger, and I don't know how many people are going to be screaming at me um, at this point in my life. But I did not think he was out of pocket. I do think the stakes were high, and the stakes in that case are millions and millions and millions of dollars for a lot of people. Um, my guess is this has been a problem, and Tom Cruise decided that that problem is going to stop. Now, I've seen people talk about how Tom Cruise stripped those people of their dignity. Nah, I don't think that that was one of those. Like, there are certainly things that you can say and ways that you can say it that I would consider to be beneath somebody's dignity. And I really didn't think that that was the case. And maybe this is colored by the fact that I also think that Tom Cruise is right. Like, I think he's correct on the matter. And so perhaps that informs the fact that I don't have so much of a problem with the way that he talks to people. But, yeah, no, I did see a whole lot of people coming back on Tom Cruise, and that just sounds like a bunch of people that, like, don't want to get hollered at. And I understand that. Um, I would say in this case for those people, if they don't want to get hollered at, I would recommend that they stop fucking up. I mean, that's also an option. Like, let me ask you this. For those people in that space that were doing whatever they were to violate the protocols, you think Tom Cruise being nice about it was going to get anything done? I saw somebody make the point on Twitter, and they said, um... Well, if it's a problem, then just fire them and keep it moving. I don't imagine it's that easy to replace everybody on the drop of a dime. And I don't imagine those people want to be fired. Like, I think a whole lot of those people, if you gave them the option, Tom Cruise going to holler at us for two minutes, or I'm going to lose my job on the spot. I bet they'd all take getting hollered at. Every single one of them. Just a guess. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. What do you think people find so appealing about Marvin Gaye's Here, My Dear? It's pretty obviously petty, right? Here's what I think that people find so appealing about Here, My Dear. I think it's a couple things. One, it is a particularly unique story, the idea that he had to release this album and give the proceeds to his ex-wife as part of the divorce settlement, and then he basically does an album that dogs her out track after track after track. Right. So I get why people would like find that to be interesting or intriguing. Um, I also think that I was talking to my buddy Joe Ovius about this and he makes a great point about it. And he says. It's a record that lends itself readily to think pieces. Because keep in mind that at the time that Here My Dear was released, it was critically panned. It wasn't like it was some big hit that everybody loved. I think that people who are far removed from the time that it came out have a greater affection for that album than people who were there in the moment. Now you go pick up a Marvin Gaye's greatest hits album. You're not getting anything off of here, my dear. It ain't happening. Shit ain't really hot like that. The best thing to hear, my dear, did was give us sipping on some scissor. Doo, 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 doo. Yeah, is that enough? Is sipping on some scissor. That's the best thing here, My Dear did. That, but that's what I think really get people on it is it's one of those that lets you talk about how deep you are. Like people who like to pretend like they're smarter than they are really, 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 really love here, My Dear. They do. And it's got some songs, right? But like the songwriting isn't really good. It's meandering. It isn't catchy at any point. Didn't he do like that one song like three or four different times? And unlike when he did that on What's Going On or Let's Get It On or I Want You, it was charming there. It was just like, shit, why won't this ever end? Like, that's how I hear my DFL to me. Like, yo, why will this not ever end? And I don't find it to be especially compelling. It's just really mean. And the thing about a Marvin Gaye breakup record being really mean is, do y'all know anything about Marvin Gaye? Like, it is very difficult for me to imagine a scenario where Marvin Gaye is married to somebody and they get divorced and it's not his fault. Like, I just don't see how that is possible. So ask yourself, why is it that this woman would take the proceeds from an album rather than get a check from Marvin Gaye? The answer is obvious. Because he said he didn't have no money. And by the way, knowing what i know about him my guess is that he didn't have any money so this is an album from a coked out manipulative abusive man right and i don't know the extent of his marriage with anna gordy the janice hunter one is much more obvious uh just kind of the terrible things that he did there but this is your narrator and people really try to make me believe that they just sitting around listening to Hear My Dear and just soaking all of that in. Not possible. And you know how I know that's not possible? You know how I know y'all really don't rock with Hear My Dear like y'all claim y'all do? Because let me tell you what is kind of the closest thing to Hear My Dear. It's that damn Lauren Hill unplugged album. And y'all don't love that. It is the same meandering all over the place. This doesn't really make that much sense right now. Like, all of that. And as much as people love Lauren Hill and love that first record, they have not gotten around to forming their lips and lying to say that they like the unplugged one. But they do it with the Here, My Dear because it has a different backstory to it. I would also like to make the note and this is a general Marvin Gaye thing for me. Okay. And I think you guys know this about me. I am not a, like, canceler in that way. Like, R. Kelly ultimately wound up getting in the cancel place for me because his songs was about that stuff. Like, there's no way that you could separate your mind from what it is that was going on with him. You just couldn't, you know? Like, there's just no way. But I listen to a lot of great music by awful people, and I'm pretty unapologetic about it. i grown up, you know? However, I would like to make the note that some of the people who are the most performative in their R. Kelly outrage love, love, love Marvin Gaye. And there is no way that you can really like properly reconcile those two things. Like if you're one of these people that's out here standing on the table about R. Kelly, it's kind of hard to like try to ignore it with Marvin Gaye because you don't want to get that musical way. Like that's part of why I find all that like loud you know, people talk about I can separate the art from the artist. I mean, I guess if you like that phrasing, that's the way to go about it. But the people who loudly try to act like you got to jump on board with everything about an artist or that you're getting rid of any artists that you find to be problematic, bullshit, because you wouldn't have no records. Now, you might have a couple, you know what I mean? But uh, you really wouldn't have that many of them. We all making excuses for the people that we want to make excuses for. Like, I just wish that people were honest about that fact. We all make an excuse. Not even necessarily excuses, but exceptions, whatever it is. But there's some people that we are all letting slide. There's people we let slide in our lives, and there's definitely people that we let slide in our record collections. That's just the way it goes. But when you start making no points about Marvin Gaye on the tweets, all those people that will pat you on the back about saying that stuff about R. Kelly go ghost when you start doing that with Marvin Gaye. When Bill Withers died, I was like, hey, don't forget this. Denise Nicholas once told the police she didn't press the charges, but we got all the like the, as much as Bill Withers beating Denise Nicholas, is kind of an open secret that nobody could really like quote unquote prove because neither of them really did no whole lot of talking about it. Denise Nicholas told that man that she was breaking up with him while she was shooting a movie in Arizona. And that dude jumped in his car from LA, drove to Arizona, knocked on the door at her hotel and beat her ass. And she called the cops and then ultimately did not press charges. Okay? This is part of the Bill Withers narrative. The whole Just Mets record. You go listen to it with that part in there and listen to that song, You, which is brilliant, by the way. It's a meandering mess, right? But it's not a meandering mess because it doesn't make sense. It's a meandering mess because it's a guy that's clearly trying to reckon with himself and reckon with her at the same time while not really taking any blame for the stuff that he did wrong. Right? He is a jerk largely in it even if he's got a point every now and then okay it is a legitimately compelling piece of work doesn't change the fact that bill withers beat denise nicholas ass it doesn't but i start saying that stuff about bill withers boy that don't get the likes that don't get the retweets it doesn't so i just ask that you be honest about the fact chances are you making an exception for somebody Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Shouldn't celebrities expect whatever they say on Clubhouse is going to be recorded and shared on Twitter anyway? Yes. Yes, they should. It's a big part of why I don't really be on that thing. Um, and if you guys haven't heard about Clubhouse, it's actually a pretty interesting concept with this app. And basically what they're doing is it allows you to create a chat room. But when we say a chat room, we mean a room where you're like actually chatting. Like people are talking. I listened to a very interesting discussion on clubhouse the other day about, uh, the vaccine and different things related to the pandemic that some doctors were running. Like it's a tool that can be very, very, very valuable. Now for me, When it first got cracking, I got an invite for like in March, like I was early on it. But then it was basically just a bunch of VC guys and some music folks, but nobody was really on it in a way that I found to be productive or useful. And so I didn't really pay no attention to it. And so I've gotten on it more later, lately, um, and I'm finding that my existence is kind of quiet, but still somewhat peaceful because I'm not following a bunch of people. And I think that's probably a good thing because y'all be in there on some bullshit. Like, what I don't understand about Clubhouse is why in the world do you want to go on Clubhouse? Basically, people, I would like for Clubhouse to be somewhere that doesn't have all the things that make me hate Twitter now. And now people just want to bring that over because they're all basically the same people. Um, I would also like to note from looking at Clubhouse, one thing that I notice is, man, the pervasive influence of morning radio on what people think is a good discussion because like every discussion that i see in so many places is just really something nonsensical that a morning radio show would carry out all morning like all right here's the question should you ever go dutch on the first date you know and now people are getting here and argue about it like it's something that's really deep all right anyway Clubhouse has some value. It's just probably going to take more work than I'm willing to put in. Although me and a couple of people have talked about putting together some rooms that maybe I'll let you know about. Anyway, um, but I do remember that when it first started, some big discussion amongst a bunch of the tech people wound up being recorded. And I want to say, I forget which publication reported the fact that the conversation had been recorded, but the conversation went up on YouTube. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm never coming on here. Mm-mm. It's too easy for this to get hijacked. No way. No way. Like, I mean, like, I might come on, but, yo, know, you should expect that somebody is going to record you. People are not supposed to record you. That's kind of a violation of the rules, in a way. But y'all don't care. Somebody would love to get kicked off Clubhouse just to say that they got me fired. Now, granted, I ain't going on there saying nothing that'll get me fired, but I ain't about to make it easy. What are you, high? Appreciate the question. Let's go to the next one. Name a cover song that goes harder than the original. JT, I want to be somewhat delicate about this because my problem is not with you here. Because I see this happen almost every day. People jump on the internet and say, What's a cover song that's better than the original? And the answer is like about 5,000 of them. Like, this isn't that rare. This happens all the time. Like, people always pose this question like it's some variety of anomaly. And all it does is get people arguing. And I got no interest <laughs> in arguing with y'all about this. Like, normally I cap the questions and put them on Twitter as I do it here so that we might invite some more people in here that might not know the conversation that we was having. Ain't no way in the world I'm doing that with this one because of my mentions, it's all going to fill up with y'all's opinions on music that I don't care about. Like some dude in the chat room right here, Jared, the Talking Heads version to take me to the river. I mean, maybe there's an argument for it. Nobody asked you, Jared. Like, all y'all putting these in, oh, I guess, you know what, it's the chat room, that's what you're supposed to do. Anyway, God, yeah, no, I'm not giving you one. Sorry. Somebody in here talking about what are your top three to five wackest Christmas songs. Will Thompson, you want a list, pay me. All right, let me see what else we got here. Somebody says, since it's Wednesday, Bo, are you a lottery player? My man, this is New York City, and that's a staircase. Somebody's asking, what would you do with a $600 stimulus check? My man, this is New York City, and that's a staircase. With more people staying home this year, do you think people will finally realize how sad a lot of these Christmas songs are? Dude, I got news for you. I think by your 30s, something has happened to make you realize how sad all these Christmas songs are. Like, there's a reason why so many Christmas songs are sad, because the feeling of loneliness at the holidays is a very common and relatable experience. For whatever reason. Like, this ain't the first time. Um, Like, I remember... I've not had a lonely Christmas. I had a lonely Thanksgiving once. It was really miserable, and it wasn't planned to be lonely, and it turned into me having French toast, bacon, and eggs for Thanksgiving dinner. Like... That was a bummer. I haven't really done, like, the super sad Christmas. Like, I was so lucky that the first time that I could not go to my parents' house for Christmas that uh, Shannon and his wife and kids invited me over and they have always treated me like family for as long as I've known them. Like that's that's something I'll, I don't even think he, you know, maybe he listened to this at some point. I don't think he'll ever understand how important that was to me um, at that time. But I ain't never really had the super lonely one, man. But there's a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of people that's gonna be alone for Christmas this year that would be alone for Christmas this year even without the pandemic, just because their parents, you know, have passed away or something like that. Um, but no, people know by and large how sad these Christmas songs are. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Is there any way to get out of the gift giving part of Christmas without people assuming I'm broke? Full disclosure. Yes, I'm broke this year. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a way for you to get out of it without seeming broke. But here's the thing. If you're trying to get out of the gift giving with people that you like ordinarily give gifts to or people that, for lack of a better term, you should uh, give gifts to. You're either going to look like you're broke or you're going to look like an asshole. Now, if I were you, I would rather look broke. I mean, it's a pandemic after all. People understand the brokenness. But being an asshole about it, nah, 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 nah. People don't get that. No, sir, rebop. All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Bo, have you been taking L's like the rest of us on all these shoe releases, uh, particularly the Kobe's. Nah, doc. Um, why, why in the world would I buy shoes right now? I don't know if you've heard, but it's a pandemic. Where am I going in these shoes? I have like over a hundred pairs of shoes. I'm probably going, I don't know if it's a hundred, but I got a lot. Um, and I'm probably going to sell a whole bunch of them at some point. Like when this is all done or whatever, cause I'm kind of off it now just because I've had no reason to get them. I have had no reason to do it. No, I'm not even trying. Like I'm shocked. Every time I get up and people are complaining about the fact they can't get these new shoes. I'm like, what is your life? Cause nothing about my life needs shoes or even wants them. I've been saving money like a mug. Appreciate the question. Some dude named Roy in the chat room asked me what shoe size I wear. I mean, that depends why she wanna know. Like, you lead a computer, you let her come over, and I'll tell her. I don't really think you need to know. i give you a hint. It's one of the greatest Biggie Smalls. Oh, because I said I would sell the shoes. My bad, Roy. My bad, you right and I'm wrong. You right and I'm wrong. In that case, 13. Know what I mean? It's a biggie line. It's a biggie line. It's a biggie lyric. Why do you think economists tend to have right wing, pro capitalist views? Were your pre existent beliefs challenged by being in that academic environment? My views were not really challenged, though I was, I, I think. Challenge, no, but I do think studying economics made me a little less militant about certain things. I mean, I do think that that's possible. But why do economists then have right-wing pro-capitalist views? Because The Economist is all about max, like, on the macro side. Because that's really economics. Like, e- economists, as we're talking about them in the space that, like, you know, comes to talking about the economy. We're talking about macro guys. They spent their whole life trying to figure out how to maximize aggregate demand. They don't think about anything else. They just think about maximizing aggregate demand. Now, there are all kinds of like externalities that come off of that, of course. They're not worried about that. For them, the assumption is that the goal is to maximize aggregate demand. Get the aggregate demand as high as you can. That's what they're going for. That's what they think you should do. And someone's like, not all economists have those views. You're right. Not all of them do. That's why the guy, I believe, said 10 to 10 to. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Do you think Mackenzie Scott donating all that money will attract more money and funding to HBCUs? I'm just curious. Why would it do that? Like, how exactly does that work? Oh, snap. Mackenzie Scott did it. Now, I'm going to do it, too. Like, I don't know, like, what circle she's in, and maybe somebody will do that. But I am noticing, though, a bit of a movement of some white folks deciding to give their money to HBCUs. Like, didn't Peyton Manning give a whole bunch of money to Xavier? I don't know if it was Xavier, but I feel like he did give a whole bunch of money, like, to an HBCU. I know he was wearing the Xavier hat during the golf match that they had on Turner uh, the other day. It does seem to be a bit of a movement. Here's the thing about it. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I appreciate I mean, she gave some money to Clark. She gave money to a whole bunch of people. I appreciate her doing that. And I'm not questioning her intention specifically about this because I really don't know that much about her. But I do get a little uncomfortable when the white folks want to throw all their monies at HBCUs. And the reason is the whole reason the HBCUs existed is so we couldn't go to college with them. You know, like if if a white person decided they was going to give like some $10 million to Clark and I was the president, I mean, I'm going to take the money, but I would really love to know why they are doing that and what they think the purpose of these institutions are. Like, I mean, I've never met, I mean, I have not met a lot of white people that that have great answers to those questions. I would just like to know. I mean, again, I'm going to still take the money, but I would just like to know why it is exactly that they're doing that. Like, I think you'll get some interesting answers along the way. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Do you see anything kind of messed up about Bob Dylan selling the rice to his catalog? No, actually, I don't. Um, one, this seems like a fairly Dylan-like move to make. Um, Dylan's been about his bread, always been about his bread. Um, that's him. Like, he is the overground, underground guy. That's what he's always been. Um... But what do you get, like $300 million? Like, let me look this up. How old is Bob Dylan? Yeah, Bob Dylan's 79 years old. I don't blame him for a minute selling that and letting people do whatever. Because let me tell you what would happen, all right? What would ultimately happen is after he died, if you got more than one kid, then that catalog is getting sold. Period. If you got more than one kid, that catalog's getting sold because it's going to be too hard to make decisions and everything else about what to do with it, all right? That catalog going to get sold. So you might as well get the money yourself and decide what you're going to do with it because they're going to ultimately do the same on the back end. That's my read on it. Now, you might start seeing Dylan songs in some commercials or in some places that you ordinarily would not have wanted them to be in. I think that's possible, right? But 80 years old, man, $300 million. Got it. And by the way, as much as we don't like the idea of commercials, you know, like uh, commercials kind of besmirching the, the sanctity of these songs, commercials are also how people find out about a lot of these songs. Like that is I mean, that can be used to build like interest in whoever you happen to be. No Van Morrison fan thinks that Brown Eyed Girl is the best Van Morrison song. But Brown Eyed Girl is a hook for a lot of people to get into the catalog because it's been used in so many commercials. Speaking of songs and commercials, you know, and I guess maybe on one level, this would be the thing that Bob Dylan would be fearing, all right? I understand that we have all kinds of stories about people, like, using songs for various reasons and not really knowing what that song is about. Like, people singing Every Breath You Take by the police at um, at weddings and stuff like that. Like, you understand that phenomenon. All right. Have y'all seen this Heineken commercial with Cats in the Cradle? Have y'all watched this? Now, and I don't, I imagine there are quite a few people here who may know like Cats in the Cradle is an idea as a song, but have never really paid attention to the lyrics. But Cats in the Cradle, which is just a br- brilliant feat of songwriting. The whole idea of the song is you got this dude who's trying to get this money to provide for his child. And the kid always wants time with him, but he's always too busy to work. And then we reached a point where the kid is an adult and dad now wants to spend time with the kid and the kid has no time for him because he's got all kinds of other stuff to do, you know, and the realization when he gets to the end, as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, my boy was just like me, you know, that's the, it's a really kind of sad song. So anyway, Heineken's got this commercial with this father and son that apparently are filthy fucking rich because all they doing is out here is they they out here doing rich stuff, right? Like they playing tennis and they wearing sweaters and shorts and all of this stuff, and they riding around in a Mercedes. And it's for Heineken Zero, their non-alcoholic beer. And so they're at this bar, and dad takes the keys, and then the son is like, "No," and he turns the bottle. And it's non-alcoholic. And he's like, oh. And he hands him the keys back. And then they start driving. And then we go. Yeah, they is out, like, they's out in Monaco. People like, they out in Monaco. Yeah, there's racing cars in Italy. They were in Monaco. But um, where they're just pushing down the street in the Mercedes is Nice. Like, I know that's Nice. I stayed in the hotel right over there. Flex. But that was Nice. And all I'm saying is, if you go listen to Cats in the Cradle, let me tell you what it is not about. It is not about a father and son cruising in a Mercedes in Nice. That is not what that song is about. Oh, someone says they're the only father-son Formula One champions, Kiki and Nico Rosberg. Okay, that's cool. My point remains the same. That ain't what it's about. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Did you see the Jalen Hurts, Gene Simmons, Omega Sci-Fi tweet storm? is expecting that jester to be universally recognized a fair ask. No, it's not a fair ask. It's fucking stupid. Like, all the outrage and the, oh, you don't know Omega Psi Phi? No, they don't know Omega Psi Phi, and you don't know nothing about these white folks, fraternities, and sororities, neither. What are you talking about? No, 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 they don't know. Now, the thing about Omega Psi Phi that you can do with white folks is, It's hard to explain to them who the alphas were on their campus. It's hard to explain to them who the Kappas were on their campus. You can get them to know who the Qs were. That ain't hard to explain at all. The ones in the gold boots and the camel. Oh, okay, got it, right? Like, they'll understand what it is at that point. My thought, honestly, when I saw Jalen Hurts when he did that was, oh, wow, that is like some Gene Simmons type shit. Just because his tongue is so ridiculously long, Like, regardless of whether you think this is an Omega thing or not, please understand that Jalen Hurts got himself into, like, the Gene Simmons level of tongue discussion just purely based on length. Also, I feel like if you look at that video, okay, and let me see if I can find it again, Um, he isn't throwing up the, the, the whatchamacallit. He's not doing that. Like, I'm going to play it right now. So he does the thing with the tongue, right? He sticks it out. He puts his arm up. And he gives a white person a high five. I think it was Doug Peterson. Are you guys even sure that what he was doing was throwing up the cues? Go look at that again. Are you even positive? that that's what he's doing. I would also make this point on this matter, okay? One of the things that people enjoy about what I do, all right, is I will take references from my neck of the woods and apply them to things that are not in my neck of the woods and the irony the irony winds up being humorous you guys have seen me do this many times you enjoy it when i do it i appreciate the irony of jalen hurts kicking it like gene simmons the white folks ain't do nothing to you by not knowing who the omegas are the omegas ain't even that damn important stop acting like these reorganizations organizations matter that much they ain't that hard to get into appreciate the question let me see what else we got here what is the shadiest transportation situation you ever found yourself in? Like a bus driver, one eye, pilot with the shakes. I was riding in Miami in an Uber, which just by itself is its own thing, on I 95 with a driver that I swear on everything could not read. Everything could not read. He's just blowing past every exit. And, like, once it gets to the point where you know where you're going, you can start being like, yo, the right, uh, this is the place where you turn. Like, whoa, there's that. Um, I have also written in a car with Pablo. And that was very similar to riding with the Uber driver who could not read. Like, he just, I mean, and the thing about him not being able to read is uh, the, the screen give you a picture, too. Like, I don't know if he just wasn't capable of handling that part, but he just couldn't follow the instructions. And I felt so bad for him because by the time we got to where we were going and we told him, like, no, nah, we'll just get out here and walk for the last bit of it. But by the time we got there, he looked so frustrated and so tired because he knew he was messing up. Like, he knew he was messing up. But I got news for you. That ain't changed the fact that he was messing up. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Nope, I think this is about it. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this thing about once a week. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Looking at the calendar, let's be real. This the last one of these I imagine we're probably going to do for the year uh, 2020. So thank you guys for all of that. And, of course, as I tend to do at this time of year, I want to thank Lance greatly for everything that he does, not just on this show, but a lot of you guys don't know. Like Lance is the right-hand man behind just about every single thing it is that I do, um, and we thought about it today, man. We've been doing this like for nine or 10 years now, um, and we're still going, and we're going to keep going, but literally the only reason that this thing can continue is because of Lance, and also in this time, uh, we do a lot of internet stuff, man. We got a lot of stuff on YouTube, uh, different assets at BomaniJones.com. And my's design handles that stuff for us. So I say thank you to them also on this. Um, I am the person that's the face of this, so I get credit for whatever the things happen to be. But there's a whole lot of people that make this possible behind me that you likely don't see. And so I thank them for all of that. And a reminder that if you cannot watch the Eden the Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes store, subscribe to Stitcher Radio, check us out at SoundCloud, also on Google Podcasts. And I will talk to you guys probably in 2021. Oh, this is what I was going to say earlier. I forgot about this hair. I was at the mercy of a bad hair day today, man. I'm doing a day of photo shooting. I'm not sure if I can get these curls to go the way I want them to. And then it's cold as hell outside, and so I got to put on a hat, and I'm thinking the hat is going to mess up my whole It's a lot easier not having the hair. Little did I know. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, too. And happy Chanukah. The Evening Jones is an Old Soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Omai's Creative Design.